This is just one story out of many stories, but that way maybe we can use it as a piece of to start dialogue and really talk about and create empathy. I think that's what a lot of these organisations are saying and what they even said. We're lawyers, most of us, and we can talk to a blue in the face about policy, but people want to empathise and people want to understand, and that's what filmmaking and, and storytelling does. Welcome back to Nothing Shines Like Dirt, episode 30. I'm Elise Siebert. And I'm Leslie Shannon. Today, we got the privilege of speaking to producer Carlo Velayo and writer-director-producer Jess Thompson. We discussed their fabulous film, The Light of the Moon, which was a South by Southwest audience winner. How they prioritize diversity in front of and behind the camera. And spoiler alert, Game, Game of Thrones, Thrones does, does it, it wrong. wrong. <laughs> Just take forth. all your money out and <laughs> put well, it under I mean, your mattress. Even the fact that you can go up to a store and do this with your phone, this with yeah, your phone. I'm exactly. like, what happens if somebody hacks? Like, it's mm. it scares me. Mm. That's, so, so I do think my imagination in future yeah. will be within our bodies. Like, They've uh, started doing that. One company, one company now has this um, like implant. Mm-hmm. I saw. I I don't. I just saw briefly like the little. Um, blip it on the the news about how mm. they have this implant that they're putting into your arm that you use to scan to get in to and get out of the building the and then to buy any food while yes. you're there. No, no, thank you. I don't want anything inside of me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then, have you seen Black Mirror as well? Like, it's, I it's on my list. It's on my list. Yeah. Too. it's incredible. It's yeah. There's like some episodes where it's like people. Oh, you don't have a. Grain. A, a grain. It's called a grain. Yeah, it's called a grain. Yeah. Oh, and they kind of like shun you because everybody else has grains. And like, it's like this thing behind your ear that records what you're seeing. So you can always go back over it. So <gasps> it's really clever. No, actually, there's so many times is, yeah. in life that I want to forget things yeah. that I've said or <laughs> done. Manag- and I don't yes, want to remember exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> My managers are trying to get me uh, a meeting with the producers of Black Mirror because I've got a good episode idea for for it's all how technology will affect us in like it's kind of like near future-ish it's really great that's it's, really cool I've heard there's amazing some that things. are like obscure mm-hmm. like the first one the first one I thought was an awful one to start with and then but get through it because the rest are great yeah season one episode two is I believe the grain yes episode oh, no that episode three oh, it's so that, good that and they're is, turning it into good. a feature film Martin Scorsese bought the rights <gasps> oh nice that's really cool I thought that was the best in terms of uh, story and in terms of like the drama in it it's just in the acting everything in that episode was like incredible oh that's gosh, it's so like cool to too how much television um has changed over the years are you recording this <laughs> yeah oh yeah he starts just randomly so you never know <laughs> and then you're okay, just good, being good, recorded okay. yeah. just that's, wasn't that's sure. how this we roll good stuff. I was like this is straight card right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh how, it's over okay oh, we can yeah, do that But yeah, how television has changed so much over just Mm -hmm. like in the past, I don't know, like five to ten years. Even like ten years for sure. But streaming has been around. Like I remember 10, 12 years ago, like watching stuff on a computer. But I feel like the the Netflix and the Amazons like picking up their original content and it's being really badass and really great. Mm -hmm. Is it's like the snowball effect. But Carlo and I were just talking about like it's kind of because the independent space is going to change so much. There's still big studios. And so it's like, oh, how do we still like, at the moment they're giving control, it seems a lot to the filmmakers, but I worry about a time when they're going to be very like dictating 
situation. when they turn into the big studios mm-hmm. like yeah, there's, and they are pretty you know, much now like even the... at Cannes you see like a Netflix thing came up and everyone started booing because it's like well isn't really independent cinema like they technically are because they're not a studio and the rules that go for a studio are, don't apply to them like they can get away they don't have to censor anything which I was a big issue with 13 Reasons Why and showing the girl's suicide oh, which yeah. I don't particularly agree with that kind of gratuitous violence well in that way in that context um, especially at a show aimed at teenagers. You know, yeah. talking about those issues, I totally agree I mean, with, this is a great segue into your film that you guys yeah, did such a good job. You guys are so good at this. Dealing <laughs> with really tough issues and not using it as a ploy just to have people watch or have it be talked about and... That was really important in the storytelling. And I, I yeah. want to talk about the story, but I also don't want to give spoilers. So I'm Me like either. balancing well, right. this line I right think now. But there's so much out, content out there now about the film that I think I, – I, I don't. I still think it's a film that even as, many, as much as you talk about it, people will still want to see it yes. because it's so – I it, hope it's so nuanced and so subtle. And it's it's so nuanced and I also felt like it was ha- like happening to me. Like I yeah. felt like I was in her. No, no, it's <laughs> but not, it's okay yeah. because I think as women we think about these stories happening as we walk down the street. It's late at night and mm-hmm. we, like especially if you have a vivid imagination like oh, mine. Like yeah. mine also. The <laughs> yes. worst My, thing always happens. It's always yeah. like you have a horror story playing in your head. But it, you just felt so clear. I think as filmmakers, you did a really excellent job like putting the audience going through the experience. So. Yeah. Thank you. I when, you guys. When uh, – I, I started watching it, and then um, we're both big Stephanie fans. We love oh, her. She's amazing. She's we watched Brooklyn Nine Nine, and we've been obsessed with it. We think she's amazing. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I was super excited. I was like, yes. I can't wait. <laughs> and did you feel like you saw a whole new side of her? I did. I mean, I, I've seen her in different things too. She's she's very wonderful at playing with her body and her voice to convey different characters. She's very transformative with the way that she acts, chameleon like almost, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which I really appreciate. But I remember. Um, one of the first times when I heard her because on Brooklyn Nine-Nine she has this like super tough girl and her voice is like really low but her, naturally her voice is like somewhere in between or actually quite a bit higher and I remember I heard an interview with her and I was like what? Huh? I was like a double double take And also her eyes are really wide while in Brooklyn Nine-Nine her eyes are quite squinty right. because of the character that she's portraying but yeah. yeah I think people see her on interviews and they're like her whole face is different she is a yeah. chameleon she's mm. an incredible talent and I'm so glad that we uh, that we casted her because, of course, you cast with actors of that level. You can't audition them and with such a small indie. But we, I spoke on the phone. I just had a good hunch and, you know, we've become best of friends. I just went to L.A. and stayed with her, you know, where – so and it's because of the intimacy of the project but also because she's just a wonderful human and she made – she really led the cast in like a, an incredible way. We knew that we didn't have a film without someone who could – play the role of Bonnie. And I think when Stephanie came to, you know, um, came to us and, and to the project, we knew that this was going to be the start of something really special. Um, and then on the set, she was just the biggest team player you could ever meet. She learned everyone's names from PAs to our director, like everyone in between. And she, she, made, <laughs> she made a point, she made a point to say, Please introduce yourself to me. I I want to get to know you. She made us a very approachable. And some PAs were only on set for a day or two, you know. So she didn't necessarily have to learn them, but she made a point. And it made the set so much um, more welcoming. Everyone wanted to be there because they felt that they were contributing and that they were being recognized. 
It was and a collaboration instead of a producer and a director. That's the kind of set you want because yeah. everyone's going to give their best work if they're. Yeah, and Carlo and I were very adamant that we yeah. actually had a cast and crew meet and greet before the shoot because we've, you know, we've been in the industry for a long time and we hated that, you know, you're meeting your company that you're literally going to spend the next month with on day one and you're learning everyone's names and nuances and it just, it doesn't, it's not. You know, I just don't think that's healthy for uh, creating like an energy on set where everyone can work in a cohesive machine. Of course, it gets better throughout the shoot as well. But, um, you know, that's why we had a week of rehearsals as well so that we could I could create that naturalism with Michael and Stephanie. And I think that that pays off on screen. And also we were adamant that, you know, we get to know each other around a couple of drinks, the crew as well, and that we all kind of – you get to see me relax because – Come the next day, I'm going to be in boss mode. Not that, you know, I think I'm a very welcoming and loving director. But also we, before we started on day one, we stood in a circle. We inter- Everyone got, had time to introduce themselves. And at lunch, I tried to, at every lunch, sit with a different group of PAs or a different to, so that they could ask me questions. We had a very empowering set and I didn't I hated when I worked as a PA and I felt like I was being overlooked and just being pointed at to give jobs. And I feel like as a result people want to work for you harder because they see that you're loving and caring and that if there was ever times there was you know a handful of times where I had to pull out you know like my assertiveness and be like okay guys what's happening on set then they really listen because they knew that that's not my natural way to be you know boss people around or to like ask for things if I didn't really need it you know so then um, I think we just had such a loving energy on set and I do think that that is one, something that we both pride, pride ourselves on, but two, having Stephanie, who was such, you know, a complete non-diva and very uh, sweet and caring and she's the biggest empath I've ever met. She can empathise with people so deeply um, and that's what makes her a brilliant actress yeah, as yeah, well. That's, yeah, that's wonderful. And, how, okay, so you guys have worked on a few projects together. Just a few. <laughs> <laughs> we so, we realise so, we've almost been friends for 15 years now. Wow. 2003. And so we have to know, like I told Elise how cute the story was, but I didn't, I didn't tell her exactly (laughs) the story. So you guys have to give us the play by play as to how you met and became such wonderful friends. We like telling this story. I know you do. This is our origin (laughs) story. I know. We love it. We love it. Um, So Carla and I met on day one, literally day one, maybe even the first hour of film school. And we went to University of Technology in Sydney, Australia. UTS. UTS. (laughs) So uh, represent, it's quite a difficult program program to get into um unlike um, america uh australia university is quite affordable to go to and so it's really based on your grades and as i kind of told you guys before we started the podcast that um carlo and i grew up in kind of the blue collar area of sydney in the suburbs um and so typically the arts programs are ones that are chosen by maybe more wealthy families because and even though like I said it's very affordable so it's not it's just kind of like I feel like immigrant families typically there's pressure maybe to become a doctor or a lawyer or something a bit more that's people could there's a guaranteed future versus like uh you know the arts which is a little bit unstable what do you mean I don't know I don't know (laughs) it's not stable are you getting paid a million dollars to do this podcast right now yeah of course (laughs) sorry continue (laughs) um so so we, I showed up and I just thought I, there was going to be so, and I, I understand I look, I look very white, but my family um, is from Malta uh, and we're, we're, 
and you know my mum's first language was Maltese and you know and for five years she didn't speak English and you know so I felt and I grew up in this community in the western suburbs where there was a, like a, a very big diversity of people and when I walked in and I was kind of I was a skatey chick I had like you know I was a bit of a, a punk rock kind of girl looking I walked in and I was like she had red hair yeah, I, had, I had like run <laughs> I'm just gonna put it out there red hair red hair I had like like, da- like a like chains and like I had my skateboard with me and I had my skatey shoes, my vans on and whatever. I walked in and all, everyone was like blonde, blue eyed and I could just, this air of affluence, like that came from the Eastern suburbs, like the beaches. And, and I'm not saying that people from that area aren't lovely, but I just immediately felt like, oh, oh, I'm like the odd one out. I thought everyone was going to kind of look like me, like, like, grungy or like I thought the You're, arts was like yeah, kind of like artist, free like and I was like <laughs> oh I look really strange and I then I saw this beautiful brown kid Carlo uh, <laughs> which and he had this big smile and I just went in my head I bet he lives near where I live like I bet he's from the neighborhood that I'm from and so I walked over and I said hi I'm Jess and he was like hi I'm Carlo and I said I'm from Parramatta. And he's like, I'm from Granville, which is like right near each other. And I was like, do you want to catch a train together in the morning? Because most of these kids would have to not commute. Well, we had an hour commute to university every day. Um, And then that was that. So then every day almost we caught the train when we could together Mm -hmm. and back from school. And we bonded over that and over our shared experiences of being, you know, um, from migrant families. Well, Carla was born in the Philippines actually. And then then we also, I think so that, that shared experience made us, bond mm-hmm. um, straight away and then we just have natural personalities that are literally like very some in some ways very similar in some ways very different yeah i think there was a class i think it was that first year where they asked you what is in um cinematic cultures you know they asked you what is your favorite film and so we went around the table and everyone was just like oh i i love um gone with the wind and you know some, <laughs> some classics cinema paradiso and von Trier films i was like that's amazing <laughs> haven't heard of half of these films and you know i think jess's film was run lola run like there, there was i probably changed it whatever by the, every year stage, i change it exactly yeah. at that at that point in your life you and it came to to my turn I, I, and I had to sort of like I had that moment that Jess expressed or um, alluded to where you're like oh I'm, I'm really going to stand out because when asked I, I said my favourite film is Zoolander <laughs> Which and I there love was, I there was just silence then and loved. then up like there was a, a roar and people are like, yeah, I love that oh, film too. It's can so- I tell the audio class one? This Please. is the best. So we had an audio, our first audio production class, and we had to just, you know, sometimes we'll just do, t- I think it was great. The teachers would like, and it was all very like making a bunch of films and people from different strands of the film. We had a really great um, university experience and very hands-on and technologically savvy and all that. Um, so, but there was this audio production class. So they encouraged you, even if you were doing more of a directing or a screenwriting strand, that you took, you you took the basics of these other classes. So we were in audio production and he said, for the first class, when you introduce yourselves, I want you to bring something that you find like to be interesting audio, like sonically, something that you find interesting. And my mum is a scientist and she used to, she's a bit of geek, she's a big geek. And she <laughs> uh, used to listen to a bunch of music while we were growing up, usually operas and things like that. But she would listen to these <laughs> 
I don't even know how to say it. Like an opera of stars. So it's stars emit sounds like quasars and 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 all these, and they emit these very. So this that that sound in Star Wars from the stormtroopers that do is yeah. actually a star that they've t- sampled and used. What the yes. what? So that's no. that noise. Yeah. So my mum had there was some very geek scientist slash composer who composed. Classic like Beethoven symphonies. Let's call it a starscape, shall we? (laughs) Starscape. Very nice branding. And so mom had decided to bring, so mom, I'd always listen to these kind of things when I was growing up and I was like, I'm going to bring that in. I I mean, I find it, it's not something I would sit down and listen to very much, but I do find it interesting that they've created these tones out of stars. So literally Carlo was the one after me and I think, I believe he was the last person in the class. So it was me. So I get up and I play this, you know, super kind of geeky, but sciencey, like look at the, what the stars and the sounds and can you believe that we're looking up and this is the sounds that we're listening? Can't hear, but we're hearing, you know? And then suddenly, Carla gets up and he's like so this is the sounds that I thought were really interesting I don't even know if you did an intro you just put in the CD and it was TLC don't go chasing waterfalls (laughs) (laughs) and the whole class was singing and that was Carla who was just like very honest and just loved he's he loved his cheesy kind of stuff as well everyone knew the rap like you know So I was just like, my work here is done. That's an iconic song. It is. is And he always made everyone smile. He still does. So in terms of personality, that just suited on set that like he was, he's very good at, um, damage control and taking turning uh you know putting out fires and so i remember my our very first film we shot on 16 millimeter and we'd all set up we we're all ready and we'd gotten the equipment and the camera from the from our equipment store and everything like that the camera you know the the film was loaded god i'm forgetting all film terms now which is sad and we're about <laughs> to call action and we realize the batteries weren't charged like they're, they're meant to be charged at the equipment store the night before and literally i'm like and it's mm. Saturday, so the fil- equipment store's closed and I'm like, oh my. And I walk backwards. Everyone starts to walk towards the camera and then Carlo, I just remember, he turned and this was like our first film when we are like 20. He turned and he's like, everything's going to be fine. We're going to sort this out. Don't worry about it. Just take a break. And I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> and so he's very good at like knowing like we need to worry about the camera but Jess is going to have a nervous breakdown. <laughs> so he always like could – he was very much my right hand man. Like that. Yeah, he's a yeah, good producer. Yeah, he's a very good producer. That's Problem why. solver. Well, you you mentioned it, uh, or you said um, Jess is the the director. I'm the, I'm the producer. What you have to understand is. Light of the Moon is literally an independent film. So, in addition to being the director, Jess is also the writer, one of the producers, the editor. You know, she even starred in the film. Yeah, so I did. She I saw your a lot of hats. <laughs> exactly, and I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier in that. On our film set, we can't rely on people to just be one thing. We really encourage and we we look for people to work with who are more than happy to take on multiple roles because at the end of the day you know we could have million dollar budgets that would be amazing and we could just pay for things to be done um, when they need to be done but at this stage in our careers you know we can't rely on that so we need to rely on people saying yes I'm going to go above and beyond what I have signed up for and for them, it's also a learning opportunity. So, you know, we had PAs who were like, I've done, I focused on sound, but I actually want to learn more about the camera. And, and there was an opportunity for them to learn about that department as well. So um, it just goes back to that idea of, you know, we love having team players 
on our sets. That's how we make films and enjoy the process as well, as opposed to saying, I'm here to clock in and clock out, and then I'm I'm yeah, off to definitely my next not project. just a job for us. Sometimes why <laughs> I like non-union sets and the fact of like oh, that's not my job, like hands in the air, I can't touch that. But that collaboration of people being like, oh, we have to move the C-stand, we have to do whatever it is, and people just like do it because they want a good story and they want a good final project. As a first assistant director, I understand that people do have roles and they need to have the skills and, you know, it's safety first, definitely. But we also want to foster that idea of like, if you have a question or if you're interested in something, then, then you, then you can ask. Um, And And it was great to see Autumn, our cinematographer who would, you know, if we had, if it wasn't like a a extremely stressful day, she would take her time with Mm. the assistant cameras and, or or like out the production, the um, camera assistant and, you know, show them some things about lenses, like, you know, and just really spend time with them and I think because we did, we had a woman majority set and we also had a minority majority set. Uh, lots of people of colour, lots of actually the one white, there was one white bro. <laughs> like we were like, you gotta we, have we one. Gotta represent everyone. So, That's um, true diversity. <laughs> yes. And he got fired after nine days because he, no. well, he kept, he, my, my, no, it's fine. Yeah, we won't say his name because he kept saying it wasn't, that's not my, that's not my job. My job. Yeah. So, you know, and we were like, that's just not our spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we were a very inclusive set and I think that that inclusivity allows people to feel um, like they can, they have a voice and they're able to ask questions rather than just be like, so many times I've been on set and I'm like, oh, I really want to know why they're doing that, but I'm not allowed to ask. Or it feels like there's not a, not an air of inclusion here. There's not a space for you. Yeah, there's such a strict hierarchy. And that to be said, there was a really sweet moment towards the end of the shoot where um, I think, you know, because I really don't like that hierarchy where it's like, I do agree that, you know, the director, your leading actor, your producers do have, you know, a, a bit. They usually have a lot more going on in their minds that you. So you do need to give them a bit more space and a bit more time to run around. But there was this um, moment towards the middle of the shoot where um, we were shooting in a very tiny, skinny apartment, so it was very hard to like, you know, we had to make be very good with where we were managing, you know, um, putting equipment and putting props and putting wardrobes so that they wouldn't get lost and things like that. And so there was this one point where I was trying to get out in the hallway and two of the PAs were kind of talking, the wardrobe assistant and one of the PAs was talking to each other about something that was probably not as maybe uh, time sensitive as what I needed to go do and speak to the actors, but I was not one to interrupt someone or, or anything like that. So I was kind of standing back waiting for them to notice me. Um, and then at some point, our, our sound mixer, Odin Red, who is this, one of the sweetest, most loveliest humans to work with, he was like, and would never raise his voice to anyone. He's so fun to have on set. And he was like, guys, director coming through, Jesus. Like, <laughs> and, like, and they were like, oh, and they got scared. And I was like, it's all right, no, no, that's fine. Maybe you could just have that conversation somewhere else. And they were like, oh, we're so sorry. So, so, we got, so I, no one took advantage of the relaxed nature of the set. But And that was just one time where I think they they were just in their minds and couldn't mm-hmm. so weren't looking around to see that the director was patiently waiting behind them. But it was funny that everyone when they needed to like come to the party, they would they would. But it was it was nice that everyone felt included. That sounds like such a beautiful set experience. Um if yeah. you've ever I mean, because everyone's been on great sets and I feel like most people, if you've been doing it long enough, you've been on not so great sets. And it, it really does make such a big difference as to the dynamic and mm-hmm. feeling like you have the space to be able to ask questions or to to talk about an issue 
or I feel like when it's like that, then it's a true collaborative experience and Mm. it only makes the film better. Definitely. We still have, um, we still receive emails from our production assistants just saying, thank you so much for this wonderful experience. It was my first time on a film set and I've been told by other people that haven't been so lucky to have shared the the type of experience that that I've had. Um, You know, we still love offering um, letters of recommendation for our peers. A lot of them actually came through the mayor's office, the uh, Made in New York um, production assistance program, which, which um, is a great resource. Phenomenal if you resource. So, PAs because it's part of their course great. that they, they um, that. I yeah, think how much they, they have to do at least one week of unpaid work experience after they complete their, I believe it's a six week course, but we got in touch with them before our shoot and um, the, I guess, Program managers were so helpful in, in, in saying we have some camera-focused um, uh, production assistants, other people who, who want to work with the directing um, team or um, the production um, unit. So they were very helpful. And, uh, you and know, honestly, our, our PAs those PAs were, were on top of it. That's great. Because they, they've they gone through blessings. this program. How, yeah. many, very much so. how many days did you guys shoot? We shot a total of... 15 days. 15 days. Yes, mm-hmm. we scheduled for 16, yeah. um, but we actually got everything done in 15. Yeah. Ah, we, and we actually what? had, and this is due to incredible producing, and of course, leading up to it, I was like, I feel we're behind in the producing. And then on set, I was like, we're, we're killing this. Like, it was, you know, we, our longest day, I think, was only 14 hours, which is insane. Um, and our shortest day was about five. So Great. we honestly... Uh, and, you know, hats off to incredible producing team, including myself, but, like, we had incredible mm. co-producers, associate producers, yes. and everyone really bossed it. And we um, honestly just had, like, for in terms of time, like, we didn't need that extra pickup day, though we did end up shooting more B-roll on that day and things like that. But, um, but we actually um, – there was a, a scene in the uh, police office um, that we weren't going to shoot mm. – so we actually added actually, a scene. We added two scenes. We added wow. two scenes. So not only did we wrap <laughs> on time, we added two extra two. scenes, one that had been cut and one that I made up on the spot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Holy crap. That's and incredible. actually, we won't say, but like um, by the one way, of those scenes is very important to the film. Your yes. detective, Craig Walker. Oh. Yes. Um, he he's my neighbor and local across the street. Although I do have a bone to pick with him because they got rid of their food there and their food was amazing. I know. I was they actually say. sponsored one of the days on set Did as they? well yes they he are, was amazing they're awesome no no he he's great and he, they're such an asset to this neighborhood mm, but um mm-hmm. i saw him i was like oh my goodness <laughs> you have to tell him <laughs> i know great. Great. i know it was really great mm. um going back to sound you guys had great music really yeah. really powerful music and i was like of course they would go to south by southwest because you have such great music. Was that something, was it just like, we know we want great music to be a part of this story or was that something you thought about and thought about with like which festivals we should submit to? And Less about the festivals, but more just as a director, I think music can play like such an instrumental <laughs> pun. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, be so instrumental into the storytelling. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, it can really either make or break a film sometimes. And um, I definitely have seen films that I thought, you know, the, the acting was kind of average or something was that. But then the music can really elevate a film. And not that I thought that our, our acting was that far and definitely the opposite. Mm. I thought our acting was stellar and that our, mm. everything was wonderful. But I knew that we needed a strong composer. And I had a very uh, sure idea of how the sound 
how the music would be. So I, um, you know, I used a lot of Sigur Ross. I used a lot of um, the American Dollar. I used a lot of Explosions in the Sky. Like I knew this. I had the soundtrack playing while I was shooting the film. Not not physically, but in my mind. <laughs> um, that would be very distracting for everybody. Um, <laughs> and and I – so when I edited, because I edited the film as well, um, that was all my temp score was a lot of these – well, a lot of these soundtracks, a lot of these, a lot of this music, and so when we hired our composer, who's David Torn, who's an incredible composer, he's been Academy Award nominated, he's done Lars and the Real Girl and Friday Night Lights and a bunch of great music. We were very honoured to have him approach us to um, do the music for this film. Um, uh, I knew that that was going to be an incredible asset to the story, and he really understood. He actually is. I think he produced one of Sigur Ross's albums mm-hmm. or or something. So or or maybe one of their live shows or something. But he so I felt like he was had the right tone for the film. And of course, as always, composing, I think as well, you it's like a it's a it's a very much a collaborative art. So um, you know, uh I always think even as a writer, I usually and even as an editor, my first pass of anything is usually overwritten or over edited. And then so those scenes that you saw in the film, we have three five-minute scenes um, that are just the actors. You know, we didn't – we shot from several angles and I over-edited them and then I was like, actually, I think the editing is taking away from the naturalism and the performances. So I – in the end, they ended up being single shots, single takes. But um, same with – I think with David as well as music. So his first pass was overwritten a little bit and then I was like, I – when I say subtle, I mean like – subtle like you know and so then we got there you know with with the final score and it's a beautiful score um you know but yeah the it's like that true collaboration of working with a true musician um who is a genius in his own right and his music should be listened to not just in with pictures moving past your face um so yeah that's what I love about filmmaking is that you get to collaborate with all these individual artists who are in their own right incredible artists and we did license a couple of tracks so um delta spirits bushwick um, blues and that was because the film is set in in bushwick so we wanted to add that element to it and we also um approached flume um for their sleepless track which is the track that plays in the bar scene before the actual attack um and And those music licenses aren't cheap no but we also worked with their team so that we could really emphasize the point that this was a low budget an ultra low budget and film. flume's australian so we pulled that card out we a couple did. of times like, yeah you gotta, you gotta use so words. yeah so sorry south by southwest wasn't the uh necessarily the, i had i found a note that i'd written to myself before production started which was kind of funny um that i forgot i must have Clearly, my therapist must have told me taught, taught me something right because I had set myself expectations two years before we you – know, two years before – like when I started writing the script basically. And one of the expectations was that the, fe- the film gets into one of the top six festivals and South by Southwest was on that list. Um, but that wasn't – you know, that's not to say that we were aiming for South by. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It happened to be, you know, the film wasn't ready for Sundance. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, South by was kind of like the first next big festival. Well, I think it was a great fit because it was of that, a perfect fit because <laughs> of that element, and that I think culturally too, the story and being in Bushwick and kind of a young person's story too. Mm. And actually, we really didn't expect to win the audience award, to be honest, yeah. because um, we thought South by has a bit more of an edgy, bit more of a comedic base. Carlo felt more sure, and I was. Yeah, we were pleasantly surprised, to say the least. Um, 
throughout the week, you know, we were just so so excited, but also exhausted because the world premiere and then we had two follow-up screenings and they were very well attended. Um, you know, we sold out the last two shows um, in, at South by. But as Jess alluded to, you know, a lot of the audience award-winning films have either been a genre film or a comedy. Um, some, you know, some friends of ours have produced some of these films and they're, you know, very different to The Light of the Moon. In tone. In yeah. tone. And, and you know, the, the Light of the Moon is a strict drama, um, a relationship drama, but a drama at that. Um, so we knew that we weren't going to find out about the Audience Award until the very last day of the festival. Um, and on that Friday night, um, I went out and, and saw some some films because that was the first time that we really actually got to see other films apart from promoting our own and, and, and watching other films in competition. Yeah, just so you know that that's something with festival. I mean, I did six hours of PR every single day, so uh, Stephanie and I. So it's really you don't. It's very different attending a festival versus having a film at a festival. Like exactly. we were slammed and mm. exhausted. So. Mm. so this was, you know, the the penultimate night of the festival, and I was just going from one theater to another. I was catching one of the shuttles and um, uh, one of the patrons waiting for the shuttle um, asked me or he had recognized that I was wearing a film badge and he said oh what are you here for I said I'm actually one of the producers on the film and he asked which one and I said the light of the moon and he said well I have to reveal something to you I usually take the week off um, during South by Southwest he's a, an Austin local um, and I just watch as many of the feature films as well as the short film programs and just watch as many films as possible and he said I have to say The Light of the Moon was by far my favorite film of this festival and I just said thank you so much you did not need to reveal that to me you did not it, need to share seen that 40, over 40 films over 40 week. films that week wow. and so we watched uh, the film together and then um, when I got back to our hotel, I said to Jess, so Jess, we should really uh, look into that audience award Because he tomorrow. was like, yeah. just like, do you know when it's going to be announced? And I was not, I was like, I get, so Carlo had had what they called like the men on the street experience where mm -hmm. like someone who was a stranger came up to say that they, which I hadn't had, well. No, I'd had very many people after the f watching our film. Yes. But I'm like, oh, you, you know, you could be watching another 20 films after this. You know, we had very responsive audiences and very engaged and very emotional um, Q&As mm. um, from men and women. Actually, a lot of the, our first, very first person that asked us a question was a male cancer survivor and he related to the film deeply as a mm. cancer survivor in that he had stopped telling people that he's a cancer survivor because of the pity that he gets shown and he didn't. Uh, and he was very emotional in his cute question. So we had a great um, audiences. But, you know, you always feel like, oh, I don't know what else is. I haven't seen any of the other films. I don't know what's happening out there. So Carla was checking his Twitter and checking his phone <laughs> every second. And I was like, stop that. Let's just go watch a film. And we went and watched The Work, which won a beautiful documentary about um, Folsom Prison's uh, uh, um therapy rehabilitation that, but it's program. a very alternative mm. therapy mm. where they have people from the men from the outside ex-convicts and, and inmates who are currently there all get together and kind of do this very intense lockdown therapy and it was it's super emotional the film's all shot in one room um and so it had won the grand jury so the last day of south by they show all the winning films including the audience winners but they announce it and then they show them straight away so we were in this other film very emotional like crying like the whole audience is crying um and then i Carlo got a text message from an unknown number that said, congratulations. Mm. And I... <laughs> so 
the work had finished and um, the festival director, Janet Pearson, you know, had congratulated the, the filmmakers and someone from the audience asked, have the audience award winners been announced? And she's like, no, not yet. Um, I guess at that stage, they were still tabulating the results from the night before. And so she just said, please check your, you know, um, the website and also Twitter and, and Google and it will be announced. But then I also looked on my phone and there was a text message from a theatre manager from the Alamo where we had played our last two screenings. Who we just made friends with. And and he was great. um, And and we, you know, struck up a a really great friendship. And he just said, congratulations. I'm really looking forward to seeing your film today. And I just looked over at Jess and I said. But that means that you're having an awards, like an award screening. And I was like, what does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean? (laughs) And and Jess was like, please call him now. Call Call him him now. So I was like. he didn't answer. Went to voicemail. And I said, what does that mean? So then I text Logan, who was an, and I, the, I have no criticisms of South by South. It was the most brilliant festival mm-hmm. and we had such a ball. One thing I have to say is they, one of them, one of the programmers needs to call the recipient because we, we <laughs> didn't find out. We had to like, so I texted Logan, who was this beautiful associate um, programmer there and we got along really, really well. They're all beautiful people. Mm. And I said, Logan, um, who won the audience award? Question mark. And she's like, it's you. Get your ass over to the theatre. And then <laughs> Carl and I almost start convulsing. I remember like I said, making some weird animalistic noise <laughs> and because we just it was very guttural like, it was very back guttural back of the throat like, I was like are you okay should we call a doctor I was like, I, no and I literally was like I need to call my mum I need to call my mum like and then and then what was so funny is that everyone in the, it was a very visceral the film that we'd been watching was so visceral and there was a lot of grown people crying in the audience mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. I think they thought we were having like a reaction to the film and they were just like wow those people really were got in touch like, with themselves what's crazy is I told I normally never my mum's in Australia I normally never call her at an inappropriate hour but so I totally didn't think that it's like 3am in the morning there but I called and it was pitch dark when she picked up because it was FaceTime and I was like mum mum and I think my voice sounded so she's like what's happened what happened to Carlo like it's like she just she her place went to a dark her mind went to a dark place that something had happened to someone I was like no we won we won won the biggest like award and like things like that and then and so then I FaceTimed Stephanie who had gone back to LA that's right she was in LA and um she was actually on set shooting another project and um I texted her she didn't respond so I was like I need to to FaceTime Stephanie so I'm FaceTiming Stephanie Jess is FaceTiming her and then mom. they met each other over and I was like time. Stephanie meet Jess's mom <laughs> Jess's mom meet Stephanie and it was that was their first meeting over FaceTime go back to technology like influence right. yes. in our lives yes. like, exactly. and then we got in a taxi we had 20 minutes to get to the theatre the taxi driver was so excited for us he's like we'll get you there oh my god <laughs> and, and we are calling our third producer Michael and it was probably it was, it was midday or like 1pm 1, 1 in Austin so it was about 2 um, it was a Saturday so you know our other producer Michael Cuomo and our um, but everyone had just gotten back had just to New York back and they Everyone was like sleeping for like 24 hours, basically. Oh, like, sure. No one was really picking up their phones. We're like, we have news. <laughs> <laughs> like, we and exactly. we did. And then we have, I have kept some of the voicemails that they called back, like our DP and all that was like, mm. oh my God. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you guys were, I mean, you sound like this amazing family, tight knit family. Yeah, like so. what an honor and what a celebration. Yeah, mm. it was a thrill. And mm. said that Audience Award has done wonders for the film in terms of getting distribution yes. and also- How did you go about distribution? Cause I feel like that's something that tends to be a lot of time with indie filmmakers. It's such a, 
of course, a goal that you want to happen, but mm-hmm. it becomes so mixed with everything else that you end up having to do because when you do indie films, you do everything. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your process like in mm-hmm. finding distribution? Well, Michael Cuomo, our third producer, said it's very important for us to have a sales agent as well as a kick-ass PR team when we go to South by Southwest. He actually um, premiered uh, a film of his there maybe five years ago. So we knew going to South by, we needed those two elements. So we worked with Derica Congo at Paradigm. Um, they were our sales agency. And then we also worked with Sylvia Durocher's at Big Time PR. So they did a wonderful job during the week getting buyers um, as well as other important people who were present at South by Southwest to attend some of the screenings. So, and know, also they did remote screenings in LA. They did. They did. And so it, it was great to, to work with Derek um, as well as Sylvia um, during that week. And um, Imagination Worldwide actually saw the film during South by Southwest. And I didn't so, remember, but I met them. I had just so many people coming up to that's me right. after the screening that I did meet the CEO of imagination and she told me how much she loved the film but i i cannot recall meeting her just because you're meeting so many hundreds of people but Mm. anyway they they were one of the first people to see it and that's who we've ended up selling the film to that's right so it was a um maybe a month or two after south by southwest when we started talking more about the deal and and they were by far you know the best people to represent this film because even though imagination uh, worldwide has been around for for decades. Michelle Mower acquired the the company last October, and she wanted to focus on female led, female driven, female focused films. And so she said to Jessica, "This would be ideal because it's not only written, directed, produced, edited by a female, but it also stars and has a, a lead female role." Who's um, a person of color as well. Person of color, and um, I think as well because you know uh, you get a lot of bids in. Well, depending on your film and, and mm-hmm. how well it is received and how well reviews do, which luckily to this day we have not had a negative review, which is uh, incredible. And I did write in my little list of expectations, the reviews are critical but fair and overall fairly positive. And I was, <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, that's good. Uh, you need to give me your therapist number. I know, <laughs> seriously. No joke. We need to communicate. And it was nice to see that even in that, I think I had six points on that note that I'd written to myself and I, sh- I was clearing out my phone and I shared it with the producers, my, like our, us afterwards. And I was like, how funny is this, guys? And so my, I said like that the, res- that well, I didn't even list distribution in that list. So I wasn't even... Um, clearly, even though I knew that was a goal, I didn't wasn't setting my sights on that um, because I know that it's a bit of a rarity in the indie space. And but I kind of said that the notoriety I, or that we receive as a filmmaking team from this film makes it easier to get um, at the next film made, which seems to be very much happening, and that I get representation in terms of managers and agents out out of this and I have so it was great that we took I managed to tick off all those without even realizing because I forgot about that note that I'd made to myself but I'm with Michelle Moore for an imagination they really um because obviously you know if you haven't noticed we have an issue with um lack uh, a lack of diversity and a lack of women in behind the camera in particular but also in leading roles so she started to notice as a filmmaker herself that there was a bottleneck when it got to distribution that even if we were trying to empower like you know, more women um, uh, directors and more women DPs and more women-led films that um, if all the distribution companies are run by old white men, that their interest may be, even though that women are the majority of the ticket buyers when they go to the cinema, where we make up about 60% of ticket buyers, um, she 
yeah, she noticed this bottleneck. So she decided to buy a distribution company and change its kind of rebranded into a women's cinema distribution company. So after, yeah, even though we had maybe more uh, uh, people with distribution companies with maybe more notoriety approach us. Uh, we just felt that imagination was the right fit. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I was um, having a conversation with a film critic, and he's been a film critic for years and years and years. He's rather old now, mm-hmm. and he was talking about his favorite films. And it's really interesting. You said that there's this bottleneck because all of his films, I'm like, hmm, it, like I appreciate it's a good film, but that's not my. I wouldn't want to watch that. And I'm like, a lot of them were about war, or they were definitely male driven or male driven type stories. And I. Like, she's right, and how great for her to... Recognize that. Yeah, and fill this void. Like, she's going to make money because people do crave... Yeah. I mean, and also people don't realize that 40% of ticket buyers are Latino as well. So we're not... And we're not representing them much on screen. No, no, no. And that's not... That wasn't my reason for me. I wanted this woman to be a person of color because I wanted her to be a person of color. I just felt like she's an every woman and and we need to represent women more fairly and um so I wasn't thinking of it in a business sense but even if you are thinking of it in a business sense it makes look at Girls Trip and how well that film yes. is doing I've heard fabulous things yeah. I haven't seen it yet, haven't seen it yet. I've yeah. seen some of the interviews with mm-hmm. um the one actress I can't remember what her name is but she's she's hilarious so, I think it's she's Tiffany so something funny she's yeah. so funny yeah I'm like, I'm like I want to be best friends with her <laughs> yeah she's I think amazing. it was Chris Rock or someone said that she is the funniest woman that – oh, funniest person at the moment and that I think she's going to have, like, a bunch of stuff come up out of this. Well, I mean, if Chris Rock says that about you, it's got to be true. Yeah, it's got to be true. <laughs> Whatever Chris Rock says it. is true. Um, completely changing, like, quickly, real quick, what was it that inspired you to write to tell this specific story? Yeah, so um, so I've known I, wanna be a, I wanted to be a filmmaker since the age of 12. Um, I watched Braveheart. <laughs> <laughs> and decided that was my mission in life. Uh, I apologize for anything Mel Gibson has done uh, that is <laughs> offensive. But back then, Mel Gibson was really cool. And um, we still considered him very much Australian. Not so much anymore. Um, <laughs> and anyway, I still love it. It's such a, such a brilliant film. And um, I just decided that that's what I wanted to be. Um, so I took you know, like I said, I came from a, a pretty blue collar family and my mum was a single mum with four kids. So there wasn't much spare money, but um, I worked it all out. This before the internet. I looked through the yellow pages and found some film schools near me and found out where I could learn like acting as a craft and also writing and directing and asked, told my mum that I would pay her back once I start earning an income when I was 14 and nine months and started working at Toys R Us. Shout out to my Toys R Us people. Um, yeah, and so basically, took, so I'd been writing for a long time, all that to say, and I'd been in this industry for a while and I'd written quite a, a couple of features and I told Carlo, I think I'm ready to like make, he'd, we'd made four short films together, a couple of docs, feature docs, and I was like, I think I'm ready to make my first, you know, feature directorial debut and I... And the script that I'd been working on for a while just felt a little bit too big for maybe a first film. It just, so basically, he didn't say this, but I always make a joke that Carla was like, six locations, two characters, right. (laughs) And he did did not, he did not do that. But like, that was kind of like what I I knew. It was smart. It is smart. Because basically that made my job easier. Like if I didn't have to raise- Just raising money. Exactly, raise millions of dollars. 
What was your guys' budget, just to interlude for a second? We're still saying less than a million. Okay. Yes. The okay. ultra low budget is 250000 Like mm-hmm. we, we had to keep to, to that. But um, all of that to say that we had a lot of people pull in a lot yeah. of favours. So it's always very hard to say too. the budget, yeah. especially for the, because, you know, Carlo, myself and Michael, we did not pay ourselves a cent. Mm-hmm. A lot of our associate producers weren't paid. No. None of our PAs were paid. And that's to say that they will be paid at some point yeah. if the film does well. So it's hard. It's never easy to just say like a – and also we got most of our camera equipment donated, so it's hard. What, what, what was your goal in raising money? Like what helped you – like like so it wasn't your budget but like the money you raised because mm-hmm. you did a seed and spark. Yeah. Yes. We raised uh, about 50000 on seed and spark. Okay. Mm-hmm. And okay. then we have the rest of it is private investors who right. have come on board. Yeah. And and most of those are either people that we've met from working in the industry for a long time. We did have a couple of like cocktails showing of like a few scenes and things like that. That did help in raising a bit more money. Um, a couple of EPs told other people like this is a good. And what's so funny is that though all of these investors are like they're all getting getting their money back and with uh, a, a good 20% chunk extra. And so now they're all like, independent cinema is the best thing to invest in. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm glad that we've spread this word. Well, that's great. You just have to have a really powerful, strong story. And this movie was so visceral. Like, and, I, and the other thing is you, you guys did an excellent job. Not It was from the female gaze, but also the male perspective was definitely there. And that Mm. relationship of those two was... Right, because a lot of those questions... I feel like you asked a lot of questions that, you know, if someone were to experience that particular thing, like a lot of the questions that I would have is like, Mm. how would this affect your day-to-day life and your relationships? And when were you thinking about it? Like the the one sex scene, I was just like, oh man, that's like so hard because, you know, of course you're thinking about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, even mm-hmm. your job, yeah. like, mm-hmm. like you don't, like, I guess if, if you have something traumatic happen to you, yes, you would think like your work would falter, but even how other people look at you mm-hmm. and even if her work was the same, they just look at you with a different light. It was and just, that's, I definitely wanted a woman boss to, yeah. to, to show. And this is, you know, yes. I'm not trying to criticize women bosses they're incredible but I'm trying to I think I was trying to think first of all I've definitely I made Bonnie an architect on purpose because that is another field where women are underrepresented but then also that you know we don't we don't treat and at that point the people at her work uh know that she has been a victim of violence they don't know maybe the extent of the violence but still that you know they 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 give you this they treat you with this pity but then after like a week they're like okay now we expect you to just get back on top of like get, your yeah game. it's like this like underlying thing of well you need to get over it now yeah. even though that's not what they say and that's not yeah. like necessarily what they mean by it but that's what yeah. it comes and off she gets as. basically you know demoted to a, and loses the position that she was so much looking forward to in her career of being the lead on a on on a you know on making a bar basically um and she loses it to her male colleague and that's the thing like just because Yes, we have laws in place where we, you can't fire someone who has gone through a, a traumatic event like that. But you can do things within the office space that does, you know, demote them and does diminish their importance and does sac- make them sacrifice their career because you can just move them to another position or move them to another role. So I want to show like the subtlety of like how this infiltrates every single aspect of your life. And so that 
you know, um, sexual assault does take someone's power away and that they don't, and it's not just in the way, stereotypical way that we think of it. Um, it's in many ways. And I was, so yes, to say why I wanted to make this, to, to bring it back to that. So one, I had to, I knew I had to write a contained film um, and I had long been upset with the way sexual assault was being portrayed by some, even some of my favourite TV shows like Game of Thrones. Exactly. Um, and then in other films like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and things, one, I felt that always it seemed to be filmed like a sex scene, which I was just like, what message are we spreading? Um, but two, I felt that the way that it was treated, it was one, used as a way to make a woman more complex and she has an interesting backstory now because she's been raped and because women can't be complex without that, you know, or, or it was used as a revenge story, which is very satisfying to see on screen, but I don't think is healthy because we're saying that there is justice when 99% of cases there is no justice. Um, and we weren't just sitting with the women afterwards and seeing, you know, we quite often, it'd be a plot device and then it would move on, you know, to the men, male characters and how they're coping, you know, in Game of Thrones, what they're, and you don't really see how it's affecting, you know, the women. There's three women now, the key characters that have been raped in Game of Thrones and you don't really sit with them afterwards and, and understand not, it. No, I mean, you get little bits of pieces like from Sansa. Like but then bits. she got to revenge it, avenge exactly. it as well. Yeah. So then it's like, well, now that, and now, oh, now she's better. Yeah. Like, it's like, know? no, it's like they tied it up neatly. Yeah. And it's like, it's still. Oh, please. Yeah. I think it's a bit more complex, yeah. than, especially the way that that happened. Yeah. So, um, and also those writers, are, a lot of people don't realise that Cersei, when she is raped by Jamie, that that's not in the books. They chose no, to put no, that in there. No, they did choose. That was not in the books at all. So yeah. these male writers just like, oh, this will be interesting. I'm like, what are you? So yeah, what, you just want to be like, fuck you. This is not interesting. This and is when awful. is this necessary and unnecessary to show? And what? why are you showing it like this? Like what? You just think this is interesting. But what are you saying about victims of sexual assault? And now, and she still loves Jamie. And it's just. I don't know. It's added an element to that, that it just didn't need to need to be there. Um, so I, I just had that in the back of the of my mind. And then basically a friend of mine was uh, – it's happened to two friends of mine where they've been attacked in New York City, in, both in broad daylight, um, and had this situation happened. And then I heard how it kind of affected their lives in very different ways. Um, and how I didn't know about like the HIV prophylaxis and having to take that for three months. I didn't know months. that either. Yeah. And just yeah. like a daily reminder of what's happened to you. And then also this kind of like fear of like pregnancy or STDs, but then also the fear of your neighborhood, which you love and you've been, you, you live in. And now suddenly your safe places are all taken from you. And I just had, even though, of course, as a woman, I know that rape is horrible and, and it, that it would affect you for the rest of your life. I didn't think about how, exactly how. And I felt like as a society, we need to empathize more with victims of violence. The fact that it's one in five and we've chosen the conservative statistic. Oh, yeah. oh it's way yeah. higher than one <laughs> yeah. in five. But we chose that on purpose to try not to uh, get it be accused of inflating that. But it is more like one in three. Yes. And or or higher single in some, person. Yeah. Yeah. I would say in some level. Yeah. At some form, maybe yes. not exactly. I mean, not in that form exactly as it happened to her. But I mean, in some shape or form, I feel like yeah. most people I know have experienced in some way or not. Yeah, I, th I think that's too why I felt watching it like I was going living her experience because you were so specific with, you know, the medication afterwards with her partner having to use a condom when they're having sex. And, you know, even that feeling like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm dirty and like 
reliving all of those feelings again and and the mm. work and the the walking and down the street and well. then having mm. to deal with the lawyers and the and the detectives and you just want to forget about it and then you'll get a voicemail and I don't know it was yeah. really and a lot of subtle things that um like you know she even changed the way she dressed for those weeks you know to, to afterwards you know mm. where, you know which was part of the production design was that she was used to dress in whatever she wanted to dress and now she actually thought about it so it's like how much of this is uh, – it, it takes over your whole life and your whole existence. And But also Bonnie is this strong, complex woman before the rape and mm-hmm. she brings that to how she deals with it, you know, denying it for a long time, which I think for uh, certain women that, that maybe they think that I can just pretend this didn't happen. Um, and I think, Elise, you, you touched on a really important point in terms of the male character. So Matt's character as the boyfriend and as the confidant Um, for a majority of the film and um, Jessica, Michael and I actually had the real pleasure of meeting with UN women um, on Thursday this week and one of the things that really, I mean they're incredible people, what they're doing is is amazing as an agency, one of the newest agencies um, is, is incredible but they also identified Matt's role in the film as being one that needs to be talked about so in tandem with Bonnie's situation, we also have to reflect on Matt's situation. And I think this was written very sensitively um, by, by Jess and, and this was a big point. But they also alluded to partnering with a lot of um, organizations that work with men because they are part of this dialogue. They are part of um, this this conversation that needs to be had about sexual assault. So they have he for she. Um, they also partner with Men's Alliance. Um, men Engage. Me, which sorry, is a which is a group of two hundred alliances. That's right. So it's 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 just this this notion of it's a collaboration as well in this conversation. You know, both female and male, um, you know, counterparts need to come together and and talk about this film, hopefully, mm-hmm. um, but more importantly about this this issue. Yeah. This so topic. it's great that we'll be partnering with the UN Women and also the Commission of Human Rights in New York City right. to to release the film as well because uh, they're, they're going to use it as a, as a dialogue starter, you know, which is fantastic and we're so proud of that. Um, yeah, and so that I felt – I just felt compelled to write this film. I wrote it quite quickly, I think. Mm. And then with my acting background, the way that I write is I improv a lot and I kind of um, get to the core of maybe characters and I research a lot because of my, our documentary background. Mm-hmm. I met with a lot of um, rape survivors. Um, I met with a lot of nurses, district attorneys, counsellors, therapists to really, because I, you know, I wanted to make sure I had a clear understanding. I t- got taught how to administer a rape kit, I, you know, things like that, um, so that I could put that realism in the film. And then, yeah, in terms of, you know, that post-sex scene, which uh, a lot of people talk about that honest dialogue they have, you know, I was like, what What would she really be feeling? And because personally, you know, I haven't experienced that in that way. I, um, you know, it took me a, a few goes to get the, that, oh, to the crux of that dialogue. You, yeah, you like speared it right in the heart. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, you would be thinking, like how could you not be thinking these thoughts? And But also what these- I find powerful about that scene is that she – she realized that she does like that her sex life has yes. been tainted. Yes. That they had a very healthy sex life. Yeah, there were issues in their relationship before. And I also was very conscious that I didn't want their relationship to be all roses and, you know, mm-hmm. everything beforehand. That they had issues that the rape exacerbated. But um I, you know, she realized that they had maybe a slightly more aggressive form of 
lovemaking and that that's completely healthy when it's between two consenting adults. Um, and she realised that it had, that that asshole had basically tainted even that mm-hmm. in her life. And so I find that people bring up that conversation a lot because it's such a honest two people really let it laying out their rawness. Um, but yeah, it, so it took me a little while to write certain scenes that were harder and like I really needed to get in tune with these two characters and where Matt was coming from, where she was coming from. And um, yeah, and then basically I wrote it fairly quickly though. And then we, you know, it's literally been only a year since we've filmed the film. That's incredible. Oh my gosh, you guys are yeah. hardcore. <laughs> that's well, so fast. We filmed also, in June of last year and we premiered in March. So. That's amazing. But sometimes like these these stories that need to be told, they this is how it happens because they need to be out there. Yeah, and, it's and very the timely. timing of this. Oh Which, my you know, God. two years ago I thought it was timely, but now it's just become it's even become more It's become even, yeah, yeah. Which is sad, but also good that the film is uh, coming out in a time where we really need to talk about this. When can our audience see the film? Do we know anything yeah. yet? Or we, do. So we, we can keep them posted to definitely. it? Definitely. We're working with our distribution company and at the moment we are looking towards a end of October premiere here in New York City. It'll be 100% fall. So we, yes. we definitely can say that it'll be out in the fall in New York, LA and, and other capital kind of cities in North America. Mm-hmm. But it looks like we're, our tentative date is October 27th, but um, we're, we haven't locked that in 100%. That's right. But leading up to that, we also have a college tour, which will start in September. Oh my gosh, that's such a good idea. That's right. And so. it looks like the UN and Human Rights Committee will be partnering with us for that, which would be great to help us get you know me out there to talk to the college kids as well as much and maybe have some of the people from their organisations come and speak as well. And that's what we discussed with the with UN Women on Thursday, that we set out making this film so that people could start the conversation. And initially we thought it would be great to have this conversation here in New York, in the US, maybe in our home um, country of Australia. And then we realised, no, actually, this is a universal uh, story. And what the UN uh, women uh, can actually help us achieve is to bring this film to meetings in South Africa, in Panama, in Uruguay, you know, to different parts of, of the world where they are also having this dialogue and they can share this story as a, I believe they refer to it as a bridge to start that dialogue, so we, to jumpstart that dialogue. So we also acknowledge that in certain countries that the situation is even more rife than mm-hmm. it is here in America. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to say that this story is the, you know, they're, they're, but, you know, I know that there's a lot of issues in South Africa at the moment where it's becoming, it's an epidemic level of rape, which is uh, unseen in the mm. world, but it's not precedented before. Mm. So I don't want to make it out like our, this is just one story out of many stories, but that exactly. way maybe we can use it as a piece of, to start dialogue and really talk about and create empathy. I think that's what a lot of these organisations are saying and what they even said, we're lawyers, most of us, and we can talk to a blue in the face about policy, but people want to empathise and people want to understand and that's what filmmaking and and storytelling does. I I just, I mean, thinking of young men and women seeing this and just understanding the after effects and living with something like this, you know, it might, I don't know. But I, I, maybe it might make them rethink something or or understand their own experiences better and mm. or approach it differently. Yeah. Yeah. Even yeah. my male friends have said, um, which street harassment is a huge problem in New York City and something that absolutely upsets me every day that it happens. Um, but my friends, some of my male friends that have seen it, have like, I have like, 
your film like inspired me to like stand up for when I see it happen. So even they're not the ones doing it, but they see it. They definitely see women experience this all the time, but they kind of just keep walking because we've almost become immune to it a little bit. But also they're like, hang on, I have more power than she does in that situation. She is like, that man who is harassing her is taking away her power. But as a fellow man, I can actually say to him, hey, dude, that's not cool. She doesn't appreciate that. And also, you know, she's just walking to work. Like she's not here for your gaze or, or she's not here to be objectified by you. And and I think that would make men think versus when I can sometimes, if I feel safe, turn around and be like, I don't appreciate you saying that. But I think that they don't, they already don't take me seriously. So I think there's something very powerful when it comes from someone who is, who they view as their equal. Um, and so it's nice that even men have told me, like, I feel like I have one, if this has happened in their relationship to whether, you know, before their relationship, maybe their partner had some trauma. They feel like they have a dialogue now that they can talk to them about it and that they feel empowered through this film or that they now feel like, oh, yeah, I do have a way that I can contribute to stopping rape culture, which I just think is wonderful. So Yeah, we That's can use as much of that as, as can be given. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I love this film. I'm so excited. You guys all have to go see it because yeah. it is a really... We'll definitely have to update you guys. Yeah, tell um, tell our audience where they can find you guys online and yeah. Mm -hmm. So the film we have our main website is or the website is thelightofthemoonfilm.com um and so that's the and that you can see screenings you can see all the press and reviews you can see a lot of our behind the scenes stuff and we'll be revealing our new poster because we had a, a a festival poster and now we have a theatrical poster which looks beautiful and we also have a trailer which is incredible that's going to be um put out there in a few weeks as well um and then if you want to find us on social media we're the same handle everywhere it's at t-l-o-t-m film and then what about your production company you can't forget to not oh yeah yeah our production company is called steadfast productions but it's spelt the british way so just remember that it's (laughs) s-t-e-d-f-a-s-t steadfast productions or steadfast productions (laughs) i like the american accent was really good (laughs) just to be sure just, just in case they were confused, they know for sure now. We'll make sure to have links so that they can see where everything is. Yeah. But thank you guys right. so much. I know for I could talk to down. you both all day. So I know. I know. If there was anything though that we, I know that I rambled a little bit. So feel free if no. there was something that you feel I no. missed. It's I think I think it's I think it's great. We, yeah. I'm so glad that you guys made this film that we got a chance to see it and that we can help to spread the message with our community about it because it's great and wonderful and we can't wait to be able to share it with more people and to know about all the next things that you guys have going I on know. too. We didn't even get into that. I know, that. we didn't even. Like, I can't yeah. wait to hear any, what you're like, doing Do you have a, a pro- anything you're working on right now that you want to do a quick like drop on? Or? Uh, well, we're just basically setting up our next, I've been uh, doing the water bottle tour, they call it, um, of Hollywood. <laughs> uh, so I've been, I've had, I think it's 70 meetings now um, with, you know, presidents of paramount and like lots of different people so there's very exciting things in the mix but at the moment i i feel a little overwhelmed with the amount of offers i'm getting so i'm trying to figure out what is the next film that we should be doing while also writing and while also earning income and things like that so um there's there's no one project just yet that i can that we can announce but we're it's definitely in the mix and we're Mm. definitely uh getting a lot of great material being sent our way and um and yeah, we'll have our next film up very soon. And it sounds like it's going to be much easier to make and well-funded. <laughs> awesome. And that 
that's exciting because, you know, as much as we loved making this film and the entire process, we said to each other, we can't do this again. Not in this this capacity in terms of- They say that you have one truly independent film in you. Right. And after that, it's like, unfortunately, you need to get paid to do what you do. Mm -hmm. So I think both Jess and I have- Made our film, the truly independent <laughs> film. Truly indie. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not that we're... And we're very proud of it. We're very proud of it. And it's not that we're um, not open to collaborating with other people who have very important, you know, stories and very important projects um, that are still quite independent. But I think just yeah. as individual creators, we... You know, we both got very sick after the f- shooting oh, the I film. Sure. You know, just because just- your body was like, I'm done now. Yeah. yeah. So in... Well, that level of exhaustion. Definitely. I was just going to say, um, after once we f- wrapped on Light of the Moon, I actually went to the Philippines to shoot a documentary for six weeks. So I literally had you one went- week in between the Light of the Moon and then I was um, filming a documentary called Happy Jail. And then Carlo had this incredible cough for three months. I was like, if you have TB. <laughs> <laughs> it was just... It was, it was fine. I got an x-ray. All clear. All good. All good. Yes, but I, yeah. So we, you know, it's exhausting as well, I know both of you ladies. you put your heart and yeah. soul and you body do. and sweat and, and you hardly sleep and it's, and, and then I, you know, and then I was editing for three, four months after that. And it's just, it's a lot. And um, I am i wouldn't change anything for the world. It was a wonderful process, mm. but yeah, it was exhausting. And, and I encourage everyone to do it once. Yes. You crowdfunded too, which is a whole nother layer of exhaustion. Oh, well, we yes. said, we agreed we're never crowdfunding oh, again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hats off to Seed and Spark and, and all of those wonderful we organizations. Had, we had such a great experience with Seed and Spark, we were able to raise close to $50,000 and that was back in 2015. So, you know, a year and a bit before we actually started principal photography. And that was a way for us to develop some seed funding. Like we had seed funding to develop the project, um, to work with an entertainment attorney, to work with a casting director. Right, because you need those things. Exactly. And with our cast, once we cast it, it was much easier to get um, more, funding. more funding. So I would I would encourage other independent filmmakers to really acknowledge that um, as much as, you know, and I should say a lot of my acting friends are in supporting roles in the mm-hmm. film, mm-hmm. but you really need to also champion up and coming uh, uh, actors who, you know, Stephanie had been itching for a lead role, you know, because she kept giving getting supporting roles. I wouldn't be surprised if it's because she is a person of color. Um, so she she was like, I don't get these roles often and this is what I wow. needed to get to the next level. So really champion those kind of people who are looking for that juicy role to get to show off their next, their level of um, talent. And and that really was instrumental in, in getting this film kind of more out there. So really think about that when you cast as well because we were going to do it super indie and have like no-name actors and uh, I'm not saying that that's not, that's one way to make a film, but I will say that that has helped us a lot and I'm glad that we decided to do it that way. And well, we got to meet Stephanie. And, and, and now Stephanie's one of our besties. She did a stunning job. She so. did. And all yeah. the class, Ma- yes. Michael Storr, David and Conrad oh, yeah. Vickamora, they're all wonderful humans. Their relationship and, to each other too was so realistic. Oh, Conrad, yeah. they're best yeah. friends? Well, well, no, well I the, wonder who it's based on. <laughs> I think that might be them, but then also her and Matt. Yes. Yeah. Like definitely. their relationship too was very like, it didn't feel like a, 
a film couple. They just felt like a couple. Yeah. I don't know how to describe that any other way I than think the way them, that I just said I think it. them living, basically I got them to practically live in the house that they rehearsed in for a week beforehand. Oh. Not live, but we were there every day, you know, rehearsing. And sometimes I'd, so I wouldn't be such a creepy voyeur. I'd be like, all right, you guys just spend time together. Here's some money, go out to dinner. Like, you know, so that they could <laughs> no, really the get to know each other. and the relationship of it. I mean, that, I think that's the importance of rehearsal because you can't, I understand why people don't rehearse because mm-hmm. of budget but that familiarity that mm, happens mm. and it's it's not spoken of but you as humans we know it we know it through body we language we know it through behavior that comfortability and mm. i i've noticed it on um bbc shows versus remakes that mm. america does and I noticed it in this family drama, and the BBC version, the family drama. You, they looked like a family, and it, it and it was just like little little, little things, things, but they had that time they had that, to be yeah, a family with each, with each other. Yeah, yeah, and I think as well with Conrad Rickamore, who plays Oliver Hampton in How to Get Away with Murder. I'll just say one little funny story from the making. So obviously, uh, Conrad's background is he's half Filipino, half German, German, and um, obviously that character Jack was based on. Carlo here, uh, who is my best friend and my gay bestie. And uh, I didn't want him to be a stereotypical gay bestie, but some women have a lot of gay besties, you know, and uh, they're fabulous and wonderful and and multidimensional. And so I hope that I wrote that in his character. But it was so sweet that when we had our read through, um, our table read, uh, Conrad showed up in a floral shirt with thick black glasses and Carlo had a floral shirt with thick black glasses and there is this fabulous photo of me in the middle of them and it's like perfect casting <laughs> and it was really funny so he na- and he nailed it it's like, like a I- meant to be thing yes <laughs> it was and I'm like, so glad that you, he universe. was part Definitely. of it yes and working with Conrad was amazing working with you know Michael and Stephanie um, I wanted to give a shout out to Catherine Curtin because she was oh, actually sh- one of our first yes. champions of the film like even before we worked with Bess Pfeiffer who is an amazing casting director we had Catherine Curtin to help steer us in that right direction as well so we couldn't have made this film without all of these amazing I people I love her too yes. she's like orange we had a black. perfect yeah. indie cast we really yeah. did yeah. you did well, awesome. thank you guys so much yeah, for taking the time again. to sit with of us course. on thank Sunday you and chat. It's so great that you guys do this. Uh, we're so glad that we do it too, that we get to meet awesome people I like know. you guys. This thank was you. amazing. And uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thanks thank for you. listening, thanks. guys. Yeah, thanks. Bye. 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 Bye.